Good morning. How y'all doing? Hey, um, did somebody just do the Ric Flair out there? That's awesome. That's when you're really doing good. You know, you, how you doing? I'm doing fine. If you somebody says how you're doing and you go, woo, like that, it's just, that's like Christmas or going first day of vacation or something like that. So, um, so glad you're here today and just want to let you know a couple things before we jump into what we're talking about today. Um, first of all, if, if you're here and you haven't been here for a while or this is your first Sunday, just kind of hold on because I've had a four-week break from doing this and i got a lot built up and it's going to come flying at you today, so get ready. But it might, we might be here for an hour and a half. No, I promise we won't be here that long. But I do want to say thanks to Donnie Kaufman. Donnie did a great job for four weeks. Give him a hand. <laughs> One of the things, uh, and, and Donnie talked about this last week, and, but, but it is true, one of the things that's uh, it's just really difficult to do, even for somebody who really knows what they're doing, and then for somebody like me, it's even more difficult to prepare a message week after week after week. And these guys that pastor churches, and I don't, if you're here visiting today and you go maybe to a traditional church where, where you have Sunday morning service and Sunday night service and Wednesday night service, um, or if you used to go to a church like that and used to talk about how the preacher was lazy and he didn't know, you know, he didn't spend any time doing anything, I prepare one message a week. And that's about all I can do. If I had to do Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, I'd have, I'd have been dead about five years ago from trying to do this. So those guys that do that, and I, I, I hold those guys in the highest respect because it's just tough to really figure out, okay, what does, God, what does God want the church to hear this week? And so for me to uh, be able to have a, a four-week break from doing that um, and be able to come every Sunday and listen and be fed by what Donnie was doing was great. Now, I did continue to prepare messages, so now we're about four weeks ahead in the prep, and, and uh, which is a great feeling for me. I was working uh, this past week on what's going to happen after Easter already, so that's a cool thing. Now, speaking of Easter, uh, Donnie mentioned a while ago, that is, in case you, you don't know it, it's two weeks from today, so it's right here at us. Um, and Donnie mentioned a while ago that if you've been coming here for six months or or more, or if you're a partner, we really want you to park down at the other end. Now, let me tell you what I want folks to do, even if you hadn't been coming here six months. If you've been coming here, if this is your second Sunday here, or more, I want all of us to do this. We all need to invite someone to be here with you on Easter Sunday. There's something about Easter Sunday and Christmas time that people will give church a shot that haven't been to church in years. Uh, that maybe they've given up on church or they said, I, I'm never going back to a place like that, and they'll show up on Easter. And so I want you to be out there just if you know someone who's not in church, know someone that needs to hear the message we're going to be sharing that day, uh, go ahead and invite them to come. And I'll tell you something cool that has happened with that. Um, one, of our, one family in our church, I mentioned this several weeks ago, and they said, uh, okay, we're going to do that. And they went ahead and invited someone to come with them on Easter, and the person they invited to come with them on Easter has already started coming, already gotten involved in a life group, and, and they're here every week now. So you don't have to wait until, like, next Sunday's over with to invite. You can go ahead and invite them tomorrow, and they might come the week before Easter, and that would be cool too. We would be totally, totally okay with that. And then one other uh, announcement that I need to make, and <clears throat> I promise I wasn't watching people as you came in today, so I don't know if it applies to anyone today. Um, but we, uh, the uh, school, we rent this building. Obviously, this is not our building. And one of the rules of the school is no food or drinks in this room at any time whatsoever. Um, so if, if you, you know, if you've been bringing that coffee in or bringing that, you know, uh, 
cooked turkey in or whatever. I don't know whatever you would be bringing in here to eat. Um, I hope you're not eating in here, but even if you're bringing anything to drink in here, if you'll just keep that outside and, and throw that away before you come in or hide it somewhere in the atrium where nobody can find it. Because we've had some spills, and, uh, and when things get spilled in here, we're going to have to pay for that carpet to be cleaned. And also, if there's a lot of stuff spilled, that one day the school could say to us, we're tired of y'all spilling stuff in our auditorium. You can't meet here anymore. So if you'll just help us out with that week after week and just leave your stuff outside, that would really be cool. We'd appreciate that. All right, we're going to jump in to uh, continue our series, our hero series that we started a long time ago now. We're starting with a new hero today. And if you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And you just hold your finger there. We're going to get to the Scripture in just a minute, Matthew, chapter 14. But this hero we're talking about today, what we're doing is every week we talk about the strength of a guy, and then the next week we'll talk about his flaw, his weakness, because all of us are just like these guys in the Bible. We've all got flaws. We've all got things that, that we fall short of, of what we're really supposed to be all about. Well, this guy we're going to talk about today, the best way that he could be described is, is a radical. Now, when I hear the word radical, two things come to my mind. One, because I grew up and went to middle school and high school in the 80s, when I hear the word radical, I think about a dude uh, you know, with a mullet, wearing acid wash jeans, and he's got some sunglasses on that are way too big for his face, and he's holding a docking cassette that he bought at Record Bar and telling me how radical it is. All right, that's, that's one thing I think of when I hear the word radical. The other thing I think of when I hear the word radical is how that word is used today. If you hear the word radical on television, in the media, it's almost always followed by this a radical religious group, or a radical terrorist outfit, or a radical Muslim sect. And so today, in 2010, being described as a radical is, is normally not a good thing. And especially if it involves your religion. If you're, if, if, you, if you're religious and someone says, man, that dude's a radical, they think you're about to blow something up, right? So being a radical in, in 2010 terms is usually not a good thing. But the guy that we're going to talk about today, there's really no other way to describe what he was, there was no other way to describe how he lived than to say that he was a radical. He would speak up when no one else would speak up. He would act when others were afraid to act. And he wanted to take his levels of obedience to Jesus to different levels than, even, than anyone else would. He, was, he really could be described as a radical. And, you, and a lot of you probably know that when Jesus started his ministry here on earth, and, and uh, you know, he was born in Bethlehem and, and grew up just like everyone else at that time did, grew up as a child and a teenager. And then when he turned 30 years old, he began his ministry. And when he began his ministry, one of the first things he did is he went out and he selected a group of men that were his closest followers. They called them the disciples. And later on, those guys became known as the apostles. After Jesus died and was resurrected and went back to heaven, people started calling them the apostles. But these 12 guys were, were the ones that Jesus handpicked, and they were going to learn his teachings, learn his ways, and so that when he left the earth and went back, they could continue the teaching that he had started. Well, one of the guys that, that he selected was a, a fellow named Simon. And Jesus later gave him the name Peter, and he became known as Simon Peter. And Peter means rock. And uh, Cephas is the, is the uh, Greek for it. It means rock. And he was kind of a big, burly fisherman kind of guy. And Peter is the guy we're going to talk about today. And Peter, if you've read any of the Bible, in, in the, first, the first four books of the New Testament, those are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they've got the stories of Jesus and his followers in there. And if you've read those, you will re understand quickly that 
there's Peter gets a lot of press. There's a lot of stories about Peter. And then there's some of these other 12 guys like Thaddeus and Bartholomew that, you know, you don't know anything about them. It's like Jesus selected them, and that's pretty much all you hear about them. But guys like Peter, James, and John, they're just all over the stories. And Peter's all over the stories for a couple reasons. One is Jesus spent more time with Peter, James, and John. But another reason that Peter's all over the stories is, is like I said a while ago, Peter was always speaking out when others were quiet. Peter was always taking an action when everybody else was afraid to do anything. And what we're going to talk about today is that radical commitment that he had and how that was his strength and how we need to try to emulate that radical commitment to Jesus in our lives. But understand this, what is often our greatest strength, this is for all of us, what is often our greatest strength can also become one of our biggest weaknesses. And what we're going to talk about next Sunday is the fact that Peter's greatest strength was his radical commitment, but he could also be radically wrong. And with Peter, there was really no middle ground. He was either doing some amazing stuff or doing some stuff that was so completely ridiculously stupid that you can't even imagine he would do it. There was no middle ground with Peter. He was all in or all out, one way or the other. And so we're going to talk today about his radical commitment to Jesus. And I want us to look at a, a story in Matthew 14, if you've got your Bibles, Matthew 14, 22 through 33, and it's going to be on the screen. <clears throat> Matthew's the first book of the New Testament. And I think this story kind of gives us a glimpse into how committed Peter was to Jesus. And I think we can learn a lot about ourselves as we read this as well. Matthew 14, 22 says this, Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus had been teaching, and, uh, and he wanted some time alone with his guys, and so they jumped in a boat, and, and Peter and some of the other guys were fishermen, so getting in a boat and going across the Sea of Galilee was no big deal, and so they started to do that. <clears throat> Look at verse 23. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So there's some kind of storm blowing in. It's a rough night at sea, and the boat's, you know, uh, rocking around, and it's kind of, a, kind of a, a sketchy night out there in the ocean. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, meaning Jesus, not Peter, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Now, there's a lot of cool things in this story. And this is one of these stories that if, if you grew up in church, I'm sure you've heard somebody preach a message on it because it's just such a great story about something that none of us have ever done before. But one of the things I want us to look at today is how <clears throat> Peter's life and the life of the disciples was really not that different from ours and how they struggled with some of the same things in following Jesus that we do. And the first thing that I want you to notice about Peter in this story is that he knew the voice of the Master. 
He knew the voice of the master. Look at verse 27 through 29 again. Remember, it's, it's windy and all that stuff, and they see Jesus out there, and they're afraid. They think it's a ghost. Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. See, Peter made sure this time, out of all the other times that he's followed Jesus and done things, Peter made sure this time that he knew that it was Jesus' voice before he was going to act. See, what was going on here is Jesus wasn't close enough yet to the boat for them to recognize him, obviously. I mean, these guys had spent a lot of time with Jesus. They knew what Jesus looked like. So they see somebody coming across the water, and they immediately think that it's a ghost because they'd never seen Jesus walk. I mean, they'd seen Jesus do some pretty cool stuff. But even even with Jesus around, they didn't think, oh, that's just Jesus doing one of his things that he does, walking on the water. They thought it was a ghost. So he wasn't close enough where they could recognize him and see him. So the only way they could be sure of what was going on here is they had to be able to hear the voice because he wasn't close enough where they could see him. They could just make out this vague silhouette and kind of tell what was going on. But they had to be able to hear the voice. They had to rely on that voice and that voice only to know that it was him. And I think what's cool about it is that Peter, just like the other disciples, but even more so Peter, because he was kind of in that inner circle of Peter, James, and John, he had spent a lot of time with Jesus. He had spent a lot of time listening to Jesus teach. He'd spent a lot of time talking to Jesus and asking him questions and Jesus answering him. And so when he heard the voice, he was able to recognize it, not because he had better ears than anybody else, but because his ears were attuned to the voice of Jesus because he had spent a lot of time listening to the voice of Jesus. Now, the other thing about this that I think is interesting and kind of like what we deal with on a day-to-day basis is that even though Jesus uh, spoke and Peter heard that voice, there were a lot of distractions that would keep someone from being able to hear Jesus' voice in that boat. Like I told you a while ago, it was windy. The waves were crashing. It says that the, the, uh, the word that the Bible used said that it was buffeted by the waves. There's waves crashing into the boat. So that's a loud situation, right? Not only is it windy and waves are crashing, you got 12 guys in a boat that think they just saw a ghost. Do you think they're being quiet about that? I mean, they're probably hollering and, I don't know, some of them might have been screaming like girls. I have no idea. You know, they're, they're scared of this ghost and they're saying stuff. And through all of that, Peter is able to, to push out all those distractions and he's able to focus in on, oh, that's the voice of Jesus. I can push out of the way the fact that it's windy and that i got wind blowing in my ears and, and there's waves crashing on the boat and my brother Andrew over here is crying like a little girl because he thinks he saw a ghost. And I can push all that out of the way and I'm able to focus. And by the way, we don't know that about Andrew, all right? He was probably the bravest of all the disciples. Who knows? But he was able to push all of that out of the way and focus on the voice of Jesus and to be able to hear it and to do away with those distractions. But then I think what's even more amazing about all that is that so Peter Peter's able to recognize the voice, he's able to push the distractions out of the way, but then once he hears the voice and once he knows that's Jesus talking, I'm hearing the voice, I know that it's my master calling me, what the voice told him to do was just stupid. I mean, think about this. Peter said, hey, you want me to get out of the boat? And we're going to get to that in a minute about why Peter might have brought that up. But he says, you want me to get out of the boat? Now remember, it's, this is the kind of sea that kills people. You jump in it and you die. And Peter says, and Jesus says, come on. And so Peter hears this and he, he's figured out, okay, this is Jesus. And, and, and I've pushed the distractions away, so I'm able to hear it. 
But now what he wants me to do is just dumb. Get out of this boat. It just didn't seem to make sense. I mean, getting out of a perfectly good boat and getting out in that ocean, to me, is like parachuting, you know. I, has anybody here ever parachuted? I, I think y'all are crazy, all right? Stan and Mark, y'all are nuts, all right? Unless you, unless you had to do it for the service or something like that. But, but the people that willingly parachute, I don't understand y'all at all. Because I, I like to fly, and I, I don't get to fly very often. I haven't flown that much. But, but you know, I've, I've gotten to fly different places. And we went to seminary in New Orleans. Uh, my parents were nice enough to buy us plane tickets home every now and then. And, and we'd get on that, you know. And it was so cool to be able to get from New Orleans to, to Columbia or New Orleans to Greenville in just a couple hours instead of 12 hours that it would take driving. But never in my life, never in my life have I gotten up in a plane and looked down and thought, I'd like to jump out of this thing. Never. And, and unless I have like a car crash and I have a head trauma and it totally changes my personality, I'm never going to feel that way. I'm never going to get up in a plane and say, you know what, I'd like to jump out of this perfectly good airplane out into the, into the sky. And so to me, when, when Peter hears, hey, uh, get out of this perfectly good boat, it, it, for him, he must have thought, man, this, Jesus has got to be losing his mind here. Now think about how much this situation that Peter was in is like us today. You can't see Jesus today. I don't care what you've heard some TV preacher say, all right? Jesus is invisible today. He was here on earth for 33 years. He was crucified. He came back to life. He stayed on earth for 40 more days. And then he went back. And we don't get to see him physically, but we can still hear his voice. See, that day Peter couldn't see Jesus. He could just see this vague silhouette, but he couldn't sit down with him across the table like we can't sit down with Jesus across the table. He had to listen for his voice, and that's exactly the way we are. And, and Peter was able to do that because he knew the voice because he had spent time listening to the voice. If we will spend time reading the Word. We will spend time praying and talking to Jesus. When He tells us to do something, we'll be able to recognize it so much better because we've spent time listening to the voice. We've spent time talking to Him. We've spent time in conversation. Then the other thing that I think is so much like us today is there were tons of distractions. Any of you ever find yourself a little bit distracted? Man, we, I mean, our lifestyle today, we're always plugged in. We're online, we're, you know, something's going on. And the speed of American culture today, it works against us hearing the voice of God. It just does. The, the, as fast as American culture moves, and the fact that, that just about anywhere you are, you can get on your, your internet and you can check your email and you can check your Facebook status and you can see what's going on here and there and, well, I gotta buy tickets for that, I gotta get over here. If we're not careful, we're never quiet. We're never away from all that stuff where we can hear the voice of Jesus. So we're going to have to learn to do like Peter and push those distractions aside so that we can hear the voice of Jesus. And then, once Peter heard the voice, of course, the command just seemed crazy. And I don't know about you, but maybe you've never been in this situation. But sometimes I've been in situations where I'm pretty sure that Jesus is telling me to do something. And once I figure out, oh, yeah, this is Jesus, and, oh, you want me to do what? You want me to start a church, Jesus, that meets in a high school? That's crazy. I got a good job right now. 
And I know I'm going to get paid next month, right? Maybe, you've, maybe Jesus is saying to you, you want me to move to, to Africa? But my kids, they won't like it over there and they might get malaria. Or whatever it might be. Once we hear the voice, it might just seem stupid what Jesus wants us to do. And that's where I think Peter really becomes a hero. So let's look at what happens next in the story. The next thing is that Peter took a radical step. Peter took a radical step. Look at verse 29. After Peter had said, hey, you want me to come on? And Jesus says, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. Now, I I kind of mentioned this a while ago, but one of the funniest parts of this story is that uh, you know, Peter suggested this. That's what I think is funny about this. Jesus was just saying, hey, don't be afraid. It is I, Jesus. It is not a ghost, right? Does anybody else think Jesus probably talked like that? You know, I think he did. It would be funny if he had like a real squeaky voice or something. We don't know. But, you know, he said, you know, don't be afraid. It's me, Jesus. It's not a ghost. Everything's great. Stay where you are. Well, he didn't say stay where you are, but he just said, you know, everything's good. And Peter is the one that, hey, Jesus if it's really you, tell me, and I'll walk on that water like you're doing. I have no idea why Peter said that. Knowing Peter, what we've read about him in Scripture, maybe, you know, he was trying to show off for the fellas in the boat. Like, hey, I'll show you all. I'll do something you all y'all are afraid to do. Uh, who knows why he did it. But he brings it up. And, you know, Peter suffers from the same disease that I suffer from a lot and maybe you suffer from, um, where he would say things and, and they would go out of his mouth and he had not really thought about him a lot. Have you ever done that where you're saying something? And as it's going out, you wish that you could go, oh, oh give, give me that back and just pull it back in. You know, like if you see a woman and she looks kind of big and you say, hey, when's the baby due? And as it's coming out of your mouth, you just know. And she says, I'm not pregnant. You know, like, oh, give me those words back. You know, those kinds of things. If you've ever done anything like that, it's like the worst thing ever. And so Peter says, hey, Jesus, you want me to get out of the boat and come to you? I'll do it. And I love what Jesus says. Just one word, he says, come. It's like if in today's language, he'd have said, bring it. Bring it on, man. You want to walk on the water? Bring it. Let's see what you can do. I think that's so cool that it was Peter who brought it up. But what's even cooler about it is that when Jesus said, bring it, Peter brought it. He went. He got out of the boat. And you got to think about this. This was a boat big enough to hold 12 guys. So I don't know how many of you have done any fishing or, you know, that kind of stuff. If you have a boat, we're not talking about a 12-foot John boat that when you step out, you're going, you know, about this far from the boat to the water. I mean, this was probably a thing where Peter had to, you know, hoist himself up and, you know, fall over. And somewhere in that drop down, I'm sure he was thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I don't know if this is going to work, you know. And he lands, boom. Solid. He's standing on water and it's solid. And he just starts taking off walking to Jesus. Peter went. When Jesus said, bring it, Peter got out of the boat. And see, this command, this was a radical step. This was a radical step for a couple of reasons. One, the command itself was radical. I mean, I don't think before then anybody had ever walked on water. I mean, if they had, we've never heard about it. We, we're pretty certain after then no one has walked on water. I've never heard of anybody else doing it. So this was just a radical thing because 
Nobody's ever done it before. It's not like Peter could think back and say, oh, yeah, I got a cousin who did this one time. It's no big deal. Yeah, this, this was it. I mean, he was the only one. And then what even makes it more radical is that he was all alone. All the, those 11 other guys, not a one of them said, dude, I'll, I'm going with you. You know, They all did like what I'm going to do in an airplane. I'm staying in this safe boat. I'm not jumping out. They all sat back. And so it was radical because no one had done it before and because when he went, it was all alone. But see, that's what makes Peter so amazing. That's what makes his life the kind of life that we ought to be striving to live. When he knows Jesus has told him to do something, he's not concerned about who's coming with him. He's not concerned about what somebody else is thinking. He's not concerned about what they're going to talk about or, or, you know, or, or what the conversation is going to be at the dinner table about him when he's gone. He, if he knows that Jesus has called him to do it, he's doing it. And also, he would do that with his words too. Jesus would ask questions sometimes and everybody would be sitting there. And I don't know how many of you ever taught, if you're teachers, you know, you ask a question and you got a room full of 30 students looking at you like you just spoke Chinese, you know. They don't know what you said. And you, you want them to answer. Peter would be the one that, you know, he, Jesus would ask a question to the 12 guys, and Peter would say, I'll take a shot at that. And he'd answer. He didn't care what anybody else thought. He was, he was willing to be made a fool of. He was willing to do that if it meant taking a radical step towards his Savior, towards Jesus. And then the third part of this story that we're going to look at next is this. Failure happens. Failure happens. Look at verse 30 and 31. So Peter's out of the boat. He's walking. Everything's pretty cool. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? See, fear of failure is a bad thing. Fear of failure is will keep you from doing just about anything. In fact, fear of failure will keep you from taking radical steps that God tells you to take. I mean, what kept the other 11 guys in the boat? The other 11 guys stayed in the boat because of what happened to Peter. They, they thought that was going to happen to them. Well, if I jump out of there, I'm going to sink and I'm going to drown and I'm going to die. I guess if you drown, you do die. Is that technical? Do you die if you drown? Can you drown and not die? I guess you can if somebody gets the water out of your lungs or something. So, but that's what kept them in the boat, was they were afraid. Fear of failure. And fear of failure will keep us, it will cripple us. If we say, you know what, God wants me to do that, but I'm afraid it's not going to work. I'm afraid if I do that, something bad will happen. And in fact, a lot of us live our lives thinking that we live in Back to the Future movie. You know, we think, hey, if Jesus tells me to do something, I'll get in my DeLorean that's got a flux capacitor in there, and me and Marty McFly will, you know, go five years into the future, and I'll see if it worked out or not, and if it did, then we'll come back, and then I'll take that step of faith God's told me to do. Well, unless you've got that car in your garage, you don't get to, you don't have the chance to do that. Unless you've really developed the flux capacitor, you don't get to do that. All of us have to live in today. None of us know what's going to happen six months from now, Six years from now, 60 years from now, we don't have a clue. And when God tells us to do something, when Jesus calls us, when Jesus looks at us and says, bring it, bring it, we have to decide, am I going to take that step whether I know it's going to work out or not? And here's a secret that maybe you haven't learned yet. 
you will fail at something. All of us will fail at something in our lives at some point. You'll try something, it won't work, it'll work for a while and then it'll all fall apart. Who knows what will happen, but all of us are going to fail. And you will even fail sometimes when you're attempting something for God. See, I think a lot of times we think, hey, if I'm doing this for God, it can't fail because God's going to make it work. But you people all the time attempt things for God that God told them to do and it still fails. And that doesn't mean they were wrong for attempting it. And that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't know what he was talking about when he said for you to try it. But failure happens. It happens to all of us at some point. And the only way to avoid failure is to do nothing. And that's the worst kind of failure there is. Yeah, Peter, he fell in the water, right? He he sank. But he didn't fail that day. The other 11 guys failed because they didn't do anything. They had a chance to do what Peter did, and they just sat there in the comfort of the boat. And you know what I love about this story is when Peter sinks. Because, see, you've got to think about this. He, his emotions went from, like, the ultimate high to the ultimate low in a span of like a millisecond because he's like, whoo, yeah, I'm walking on water. Look at me. You know, he's all excited. He can't believe this is happening. And then he goes from that to I'm drowning. I'm going to die. I mean, just all in a matter of a split second. And can you imagine what his emotions were like? And so to go from here to there and he starts screaming out, God, please save me. Jesus, come get me. And Jesus rushes over and grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. And then when he speaks to him, I love what he says. Because he says, you have little faith, why did you doubt? And I think when we read that, a lot of times we think that Jesus was scolding him. And we think that it was like Jesus calling Peter out in front of all the disciples. You know, with that voice I used a while ago. Oh, you have little faith, Peter. You are so stupid. Why did you doubt? You know, we think that's what he was doing. But you know what I think as I read that? And as you think about the situation, remember it was windy, the waves were crashing. When I read that... I think that that was a private conversation between Jesus and Peter. I don't think the other 11 guys could hear that because they're in the boat. They're, Peter and Jesus are out there in the water somewhere, and it's loud, and it was like Jesus. It was a compassionate moment. It was a teaching moment between Jesus and Peter where Jesus grabbed Peter by the hand, and it wasn't fussing at him, but he was saying, man, you almost had it. You were doing it, and you just lost faith. Don't doubt Don't doubt. It wasn't Jesus fussing at him. It was Jesus telling him, you you were doing it and you can do it again. See, I think we live our lives a lot of times. We're afraid to try something great for God because we're afraid that if it fails, then somehow God doesn't love us as much anymore or somehow God's really disappointed in us and he won't give us another shot. I don't think God operates like that. I think God is a a second chance God and a third chance God. And you try something for him, he'll say, all right, that didn't work out as well as it should, but take what you learned there. Now try this next thing for me. And then take what you learned there and try this next thing over here for me. You know, we live in a culture that rejoices in people's failures. I don't know if you watch the news at all, 
But it's like when somebody fails, people get all excited. Woo, Tiger Woods, he's a terrible husband. Let's, you know, cover that for six months and all make jokes about it and all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's we rejoice in the failures of other people. When you watch TV, it's about failed marriages and failed businesses and failed legislation and all this kind of stuff. And, and we love it when people, you know, just don't get, aren't successful. And it creates this negative culture where we start to think that way. We start to think negatively. We start to think about failure all the time. I, I don't know if any of you watch, um, and I know I'm going to lose some of my macho-ness to some of you here, um, but I watch American Idol, okay? I don't know how many of you watch American Idol. And, uh, you know, don't, don't think I'm, you know, too much of a girl for that. But, um, I, and, and I say, you know, I used to say that I watched it because Emily likes to watch it, but really I just like to watch it. If Emily's not even watching, I watch it by myself, okay? So, uh, I like to watch American Idol, and, and uh, this this past th- this season that's going on now. Uh, and by the way, the girls are a lot better than the guys this season. Anybody else agree with that? But anyway, we'll talk about that later. So they had Hollywood Week, and so everybody goes to Hollywood, and you're trying to see who's going to get down to the final 24. And they get the final 20, and, and, and they're they're bringing the people in and telling them whether they made it or not. And Ellen DeGeneres is one of the is one of the new judges. And um, and by the way, I don't know what's up with her hair. But when did it become a hairstyle to say, hey, I want the top front to look like I just rolled out of bed and everything else to be flat, you know? That must be a new style that she's got going on. But And so they bring them in, and Ellen says to this girl, they, they tell this girl she's not going to make it, all right? And, man, she starts putting on a show. Like, you don't know what I can do. Please give me another chance. I mean, she's just making a fool out of herself, begging. And and, uh, and Ellen tries trying to be compassionate to her, and she says, hey, this isn't the end. So she's basically telling this girl, look, look this is, you'll get another chance. This isn't the end. And you know what that girl responds? If that was me, I think I'd have said, all right, cool, thanks. You know, I tried my best, and I'll give it another shot. You know what the girl said? You don't know that. It was like she was saying, you don't know that. I'm a big failure, and this is it for me, you know. And it was this girl had such a negative mindset. And I thought about that's the way we tend to live our lives. It's like we're going to try something, and, and somebody will say, hey, you know, that didn't work out, but you can give it another shot. And we're like, no, I'm done, man. I'm out. I tried that for God, and I'm never doing anything again. I failed at that. I made a fool of myself. I sunk in the water in front of my 11 best friends. I'm never trying anything again ever. And we've gotten so negative. And Jesus wants to take us, and he wants to say, you know what? If you fail, I'm going to pull you up, and I'm going to give you another shot. See, there were 12 guys in that boat. But only one of them got to experience what it was like to walk on top of the water. Only one of them also failed at that after taking a few steps. But 11 others failed because they never got out of the boat. And only one of them got to experience what it's like to have the creator of the universe grab you hand in hand pull you up out of the water and look you face to face and say, you just didn't have enough faith and pull him safely back into that boat. And I believe that as long as Peter lived for the rest of his life, he remembered that moment. And I, and just this is just me thinking, but I bet that in his memory and when he told this story to his friends, that he spent more time on the one-on-one face-to-face that he had with Jesus than he did on walking on the water. Because the walking on the water was just pretty cool, but the face-to-face with Jesus, that was life-changing. 
Let's finish up by looking back at verse 28. This was Peter's, what he said to Jesus. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. What was Jesus' response? What did he say? Bring it. That's right. Come. Bring it. Let me ask you this today. What's your idea? What, would it, what, what, it is, what is it that you would say to Jesus? Hey, Jesus, if it's you, I'll do this. What's the idea you got? Remember, it was Peter's idea to get out of the boat and walk on water. What is it that God is putting in your heart to do for him? What's the stirring that you feel? What is it that when you watch TV or you have a conversation with somebody or you hear a story about something, that you feel this stirring in your heart and you're thinking, man, I need to be living my life for that. I need to be doing something about that. If you've got an idea and it's something that God's put in your heart, something to do for Him, Jesus today is saying to you, bring it. Bring it. It might work for a while, then it might fail. It might work and never fail. It might fail right off the bat. But no matter what happens, even if it fails, Jesus is going to be there. He's going to grab you by the hand. He's going to pull you up, and he's going to give you another chance to do something else for him. And then I would say one more thing to you today. If you can't hear the voice of God, and you're, you're hearing me talk about this, and you say, you know what, Cliff, I, I've never heard God's voice. I've never heard the voice of Jesus. Start in the Bible. I tell you that all the time, but start in the Bible. Start reading that Bible every day. Yeah, but I don't understand it. Fine, read it again tomorrow. You might not understand it for six months, but if you read it day after day after day, this Holy Spirit will begin to teach you and begin to help you to understand what those words mean and begin to help you understand how it means you should live differently than you were living before. And you'll begin to hear the voice of Jesus. It's the absolute best tool that we've got for knowing the voice of Jesus and understanding who he is. Read that Bible every day. Now, for some of you today, the thing that God is stirring in your heart is that you need to turn your life over to him. You've never done it. You've lived for yourself, done your own thing, and you know you need to make a commitment to something bigger than yourself. You know you need to give your life to Jesus, and you know that You've done some things wrong. The Bible calls that sin. I've done them. All of us have done them. And you know that the only way you can be forgiven is to believe that Jesus died on a cross and His blood provides the forgiveness of that sin. And what Jesus is stirring in your heart today is for you to take that step to give your life to Him. And you're saying, Lord, if it's you, I'll come to you. And Jesus is saying, bring it. I can handle your sin. I can handle your faults. I can handle your addictions. I can handle your bad marriage. I can handle whatever it is you got. Bring it. And I will fix it. I will clean it up. I will clean you up. And I'll set you on a different path. If that's where you are today, we're all going to pray in just a second. This is what I want you to do. If that's you, when we bow our heads, I'm going to pray a prayer. And you repeat the words that I pray. And all I'm going to say is I'm going to say that we're going to talk to Jesus about the sin in our lives and we're going to ask Jesus to come into our heart. And if you want to do that today for the first time, you repeat the words of the prayer that I pray out loud or silently. And then when we're done, we'll talk a little bit more. So let's pray.
Jesus, I need you. I can't handle this life by myself. I need to be forgiven of my sin. I need to be cleaned up. I need strength. I need to know you. I ask for you to come into my life now. I won't live for myself anymore. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I believe your death can forgive me of my sin. I promise to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you prayed that prayer today, never prayed that before, or prayed it today and for the first time it was real, I want you to be sure and tell myself, tell Donnie, tell any of the folks in the band, any of our greeters that have on their name tags, tell someone today, say, I prayed that prayer, Cliff prayed, I gave my life to Jesus, I don't really even understand what it means, but I did it. Be sure you tell somebody that before you leave today. Now, if you're here today and you're already a follower of Christ, pray this week and ask God, all right, what is it? What you got for me? What is it that you're telling me to do? Because I will do it. And let's all, including me, let's try to be sure that we're at a point in our life where we're willing to take a radical step, a radical step towards our Master. Because even if it fails... He's going to rescue us and going to make something great out of it. Let's stand up together. We're going to sing a closing song. Hey, remember to be inviting folks for Easter two weeks from today. Maybe for you, that's the radical step to go to where you work and invite everybody there. But begin doing that this week.